I'm Tavis Smiley, and I am pleased to have you hanging out with us today on our program. Uh, we are headed into the second hour. Uh, first hour was fire, and uh, two more hours to go. Uh, that music, of course, makes one think of Shaft, which makes one think of Richard Roundtree. Uh, it's been a day or two now, and still sad uh, about the passing of uh, Richard Roundtree. Uh, amazing actor, uh, nice brother. I had the honor of interviewing him a number of times over the course of his career. So our condolences still, <clears throat> excuse me, to the family of our Richard Roundtree passed away this week at the age of 81. In this hour, imagine teaching a classroom full of seniors about the founding fathers in slavery and their reaction to your lecture that day compels you to leave the building, go to your car and cry it out. Well, that's exactly what happened to Jasmine Holmes. She says the response of her students to the lesson that day made her feel like she had to defend her humanity, to defend her dignity for the very first time in a classroom. It was the day she says she felt the full exhaustion of being a black teacher in a white space. But she didn't let misery have the last word. No, she has authored a book about how proclaiming the truth of black dignity has actually helped to shape American history. And she joins us in this hour for the hour. Jasmine Holmes, good to have you on. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great delight to have you. Glad we've got some time to sort of unpack this. Let me just start. Uh, we have an hour, so uh, you don't need to speak in sound bites, uh, as you do on most uh, most interviews, most conversations. we got some time to work this out. So let me just stand down for a second uh, and ask you. I, I gave a sense of um, uh, how this uh, process all begins, but take a few minutes to tell me about that day, what you were teaching. Uh, just give me and the audience a better understanding of what happened in the classroom, the way the kids responded. Uh, take it away. Tell me that story first, and we'll, we'll jump from there. Jasmine, can you hear me? Uh, Jasmine, did you hit the mute button on your phone by your face, maybe, or something? Jasmine? Hello? There we go. There we go. There we go. Did, did you hear, did, I'm sorry. Did, did you hear all I said? Yes, I did. Okay. Now, it's your turn. Go, Jasmine. <laughs> okay. Um, at that time, I'd been teaching for about nine years, um, and I had just published a book called Carved in Ebony, and it was about um, a lot of black women's involvement with abolition. Um, and so one of the teachers in the school knew about my research, and she was teaching the seniors that day um, about the founding fathers and slavery. And she's like, hey, could you come, just come to my class and kind of teach these kids for me um, just for a little bit, just give them an overview. And I said, sure. Um, I've known these kids. I taught these kids several years ago. Um, I was a middle school teacher. Um, and so I taught them back then and got into the classroom and started talking and asking them some questions about the founding fathers and just really wanting them to wrestle with the contradiction of being in a country that says that all men are created equal, but actively practices chattel slavery and promotes chattel slavery. And instead of wrestling the way that I expected them to do, um, they, started defending the founders and saying, well, nobody knew that slavery was wrong and nobody really understood and slavery wasn't that bad and some slaves were really happy. And if you let them be free, where were they going to go anyway? Um, and just to give some context, I live in Jackson, Mississippi. And so I am, uh, I'm a transplant. I'm from Texas originally, but I've been in Mississippi for about seven years and I was the only black teacher at the school. There were no black students in that classroom. Um, and I just remember going out to the car afterwards. I held it together. I got to the car and then I called my husband and I just started crying. And he, it wasn't the first time that I'd had a run in with students like this, but I think that it was the first time 
armed with the new knowledge of my research and really feeling the weight of my research, kind of having that moment in light of all of that, um, it was tough. Mm. Um, all right, let me interrogate a few things. One, um, what is the experience like? Um, we were talking on this program, uh, program the other day about African-American first. Um, and I was saying that um, while I have been an African-American first in a variety of ways, um, I am always troubled by the fact that there are certain spaces that we've been kept out of for so long that here we are in 2023 just now getting uh, first in these categories. Um, that said, um, I, I know what it's like to be the only African-American in a particular space. I was like that at PBS. I was like that at NPR and other mm-hmm. uh, parts and phases of my career. What is it like when you're the only black teacher in an entire school? It's difficult, but I will say that, I mean, in all of my years of teaching, uh, all nine of them, there was only one year where I wasn't the only black teacher in the school. Mm. Um, and even in that year that I had another black teacher, we were at a very ethnically diverse school. Um, but my friend and I were the only black teachers in the upper school, like in the middle school, high school. It was just us two, um, even in an ethnically diverse school. So it's, it's hard to describe the feeling because it's the only feeling that I have ever had professionally. I've got some questions about these students uh, and the things they said to you that you uh, sort of uh, shared with us a moment ago. Uh, And I've got some questions about uh, the moments you spent in that car, um, uh, breaking down and talking to your husband on the phone. Just getting started uh, in this hour with Jasmine Holmes. Her book is called Crowned with Glory, Crowned with Glory, How Proclaiming the Truth of Black Dignity Has Shaped American History. And we'll talk about how black dignity has, in fact, shaped American history. Hope Bill O'Reilly is still listening. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Unapologetically progressive. progressive. Unapologetically black. Black, black. You're tapped into Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Thinking about holding. Smart talk for curious people just like you. Just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. 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 Tavis Smiley and Jasmine Holmes in this hour. Her book is called Crowned with Glory, How Proclaiming the Truth of Black Dignity Has Shaped American History. A lot to talk about in this hour. Let me go right back, though, to these students. Uh, on this particular day, when you were talking to this, uh, the only black teacher in the school, you're talking to a room full of white students. Um, did you did you sense when you started getting pushback from these students that they were chiding you, that they were deliberately trying to humiliate you. Um, I get the sense that you didn't think they were just being Socratic, <laughs> that they were just asking, uh, you know, deep and pondering questions. How did you process the way they were coming at you that day, Jasmine Holmes? I think they were uncomfortable. I mean, if I had to put a if I had to put a word to it, I would say uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't describe it as malicious. Um, but I remember being 17, 18 and being confronted with really hard truths and having a really strong reaction to it. Um, and I think that it was just a matter of partially Socratic, right? Wanting to be that student who, um, has an answer for the teacher, has, you know, has something different to say, partially uncomfortable, but then also just partially, um, maybe ignorant and not wanting to be seen as ignorant. And so like reaching for other things. Um, and the, the extra added layer to this is I had taught these students about slavery again, several years before I I'd had them, um, in middle school and I'd had a historian come in and talk to them, um, several years ago because we were getting some pushback on, you know, it wasn't the civil war wasn't about slavery. It was about states' rights. 
Um, and so I'd already had a run in with them several years before um, and thought that I had made some headway, but I, I hadn't. Apparently not. Yeah. Which raises a couple of <laughs> questions. I raised a couple of questions. Number one, how do you process, um, given that, um, that, that, that schooling, that education is about learning and growing and becoming wiser? Uh, becoming more enlightened, uh, and a few years later, when you run these students again, having traversed some of this terrain, you know, again years prior, uh, they clearly did not show that they had grown in any way. They had not grown any wiser. Uh, your efforts notwithstanding, how do you read that about these students? It can't just be one teacher in one class for one unit study, right. and I think that I had overestimated my ability to make a lasting impact in as one teacher in one class and one unit study. And I remember my husband kept asking me over and over again, especially that year, like, why are you still at that school? It doesn't trigger educational priorities. It doesn't. And I was like, Oh, I feel like, I feel like God's calling me to be here. And (laughs) my (laughs) husband in typical husband fashion was like, is that just the cop out thing that you say when you're too afraid to see what else God might be asking you to do? Mm. Or is God really calling you to be where you are? Mm. And that was my last year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other issue you raise, uh, this worth, uh, uh, spending some time on is your use of the word uncomfortable. I was actually struck by that word. I didn't know where you were going to go with it. I never do. Of course, I'm not a mind reader, but I asked whether you thought the students were just being difficult, whether they were chiding you, whether they were humiliating you, something else. And you said, in a word, Tabis, I think they were just uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. You probably know where I'm going with this now. This is the argument that Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott and other governors and other persons around this country in these red states are making. The argument they make is mm-hmm. that we can't teach this history. Um, uh, I would say teach the truth, but they don't want this stuff taught because it makes their precious white babies uncomfortable. That's what mm-hmm. their argument is. And here comes Jasmine Holmes basically telling me the same thing, that you as a black teacher felt that they responded in that way because they were uncomfortable. Isn't that the argument? I'm not, and I'm not, and I'm, trying, I'm not trying to put up on you. I'm just saying that it's, it's ironic that that's exactly what their argument is, that they don't want these white kids to be made uncomfortable by these hard truths, as you put it. How do you read that? Yeah, I mean, I think the difference is is that I think that students should be made uncomfortable by things that are uncomfortable. Um, You know, when we're learning about the Holocaust, my students were really uncomfortable. Uh, Reading Ellie Wessel's Night was really uncomfortable for them. There would be something wrong with them if they were comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, But because they didn't feel connected to that history, because they weren't feeling as though they were responsible at all for that history, their discomfort wasn't a personal thing. It wasn't about them. They were able to actually just look at the victims and feel bad for the victims. Mm-hmm. Okay, move that to America, move that to Mississippi, and now we're not just talking about people who were across the world and cruel people who we can't really relate to. We're talking about our ancestors. Yeah. And so that discomfort takes on new levels. Yeah. How do I process that... Um in the age of innocence, uh, and maybe that's the problem. Maybe I'm maybe I'm assuming something that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but one one I think wants to believe, one hopes that when young people are in that age of innocence, I had a program yesterday. We spent an hour talking about puberty and some new data about what happens to kids in puberty. Um, but in this age of innocence, presumably, one wants to believe that these kids, these babies, 
when exposed to the inhumanity and 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 the stripping away of dignity of other uh, human beings that you might touch a nerve that you might that you might get some response from them now it's one thing to be an old redneck uh it's it's one thing to be an old racist that's a different issue mm-hmm. but at a certain age one wants to believe and again I'm, i can argue against my own point by just going back to the civil rights movement and you can see these white kids spitting on black students as they try to integrate schools in little rock and new orleans so i, I can argue my own point but let me just press forward anyway i, I you, you, you want to believe that at a young age in this age of innocence that you can actually break through to these students and when they hear stories like the story of slavery, when they hear stories like the Holocaust, when they're reading uh, Elie Wiesel's book, as you mentioned earlier, you want to believe there's something you can connect to. But when you when you are at that age and you already have a hard heart, uh, I don't know what's to be done about that in 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 the in the years to come. Um, I don't know if there's a question there, but I'm just I, I, but I would love your response um, uh, about why it is that even at these tender ages. The notion of reveling in somebody else's humanity and dignity does not resonate with these students. Mm. I think that they're trying to protect white dignity. Mm. So I think they care about dignity. Yeah. Um, but they care about their white Confederate ancestors' dignity. Don't don't assail my great 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 whoever grandfather's dignity by telling me that he was a perpetrator of crimes against humanity. Don't do that. Don't assail the dignity of our founding fathers by telling me that they were hypocrites. Don't do that. So they are concerned with dignity, and their hearts are soft towards the people that they're relating to. Um, I, I think that often it's a matter of giving them the opportunity and opening up passageways and conversations um, for them to relate to the oppressed more than the oppressor, to relate to the, the plight of the oppressed, to feel for the plight of the oppressed. Um, but I do think that this dialogue of Governor DeSantis at all um, trying to shield children from learning the full horrors of chattel slavery, um, I think that it is just contributing to this idea that our job is to protect, quote-unquote, America's dignity at all costs. And anybody that brings up a bad part of history is assailing America's dignity, and therefore they're the enemy. Mm-hmm. I want to come back to that point in just a second, so put a pin in that uh, before I do that. Um, tell me then about um, your leaving the classroom, uh, e- eventually going to your car, uh, and as you put it, you know, having to having to cry this out. You called your husband, you talked to him. Um, take me back to that moment. What's what's it like, you know, sitting in this space uh, where? To your earlier point, you held it together in the classroom. Uh, now you're by yourself. Nobody can see you except God and your husband's talking to you. Um, but did you feel in any way defeated? Uh, how did you feel uh, knowing that you had to escape that space to go somewhere to let all this hang out, as it were? I felt so defeated. Mm-hmm. I felt um, at this point I'd been you know, teaching at this school for several years. And had been thinking, you know, I'm making an impact. And and I don't want to overstate. I mean, since I've left, I've had more than one parent be like, you did make an impact. But I thought that I was making a much bigger impact than the impact Mm. that I was actually making. And sometimes as a teacher, it is about that one student. It is about that that one kid that you make an impact on in in the entire class. And I I don't want to undermine that. Um, But I definitely felt like you know, that young, enthusiastic um, 
when I was when I first started teaching, my students would call me "Oh, Captain, my Captain," like Dead Poet Society. That mm-hmm. was totally, completely my like. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to change minds and I'm going to change hearts and I'm going to be like Robin Williams in whichever teaching movie where he's teaching. Yeah. And I, I kind of was having a moment of uh, kind of this stripping away of innocence of like you can't just go in with your cape and change hundreds of years of white supremacy with a couple of well-timed classes during the week. And it was, it was tough. It was tough. You can't do it by yourself. Um, You you have to impact the system. It can't just be you alone on an Island. Um, You have to impact the entire system. Yeah. That raises for me a couple of questions about, about the teaching profession that I want to uh, probe you on right now. We're talking to Jasmine Holmes. Her book is called Crowned with Glory, How Proclaiming the Truth of Black Dignity Has Shaped American History. I'm working my way into that. We'll get to that, I promise, as we move through this hour. Uh, but I want to just uh, establish um, this uh, this uh, ground floor, uh, uh, if I can. So there are two things that I want to ask you, what you just said, Jasmine. One is... Um, there are teachers right now who are being put upon all across this country, uh, certainly in parts of this country. Um, there are teachers that are being called into uh, principal's offices. There are teachers facing lawsuits. I've had a number of these conversations. Um, teachers in trouble for uh, trying to teach the truth. Teachers in trouble for using certain books as, as text. Uh, librarians who have to take books off of certain off of certain shelves. You know the frame that we're in. You mentioned Ron DeSantis. You understand exactly what we're talking about here. Um, what's what what say you to those teachers having had the experience that you had in that classroom, and the kind of response you got from these students who were uncomfortable? Um, what 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 say you to to, to teachers? Uh, in classrooms across the country right now, like the one you were in, who are being put upon as you were that particular day. Just, I see you. I see you. And and back to what I said a couple of minutes ago, that maybe we're not going to have that dead poet society moment with everybody standing on their table and telling you that you're amazing. <laughs> but, but there will be that one student. I, I'm thinking of one particular student right now who at the end of the school year after like, I mean, I went back and forth with this kid about everything from the slavery to Japanese internment camps. I mean, he just gave me grief that year. It was so hard to talk to him because he, everything that I said, he just had an argument for. And I remember at the end of the year, he came to me and he was like, Hey, we argued a lot this year. And I really appreciate you just kind of pushing back and you putting up with me and you really helped me to think differently about some things. And for this kid to say that to me, and I know that any teacher listening understands what I'm saying for this kid to say that to me, it was like, this is why I do this job. Because even though I can't, I can't, I just can't save everybody. I can do my very best. Mm-hmm. I can plant the seeds that I can plant. And those seeds can, can have fruit, can have increase. I, a few, a few weeks ago, so back when I first started teaching, it was 2012. Mm-hmm. And I taught a class of sixth graders. One of the teachers from my school back in 2012 reached out to me. And she was like, I just wanted to let you know that so-and-so is graduating um, from college this year, and he mentioned a lesson that you taught him back in sixth grade, and he mentioned you by name. That's crazy to me. That's like, that's, that's, that's why you do it, for, for, those, for those handful of kids. Um, and I'm not telling any teacher listening, I'm not telling them anything that they don't already know and feel, because that's why we're doing it. That's why we're doing yeah. the job. That's why... I mean, I've been out of I've been out of the classroom for 
um, two years now and I'm getting my master's degree and I'm, you know, pursuing graduate education and then I'm going back. Mm. Wow. All right. So that, that, that teased up the second question I wanted to ask about the teaching profession. Um, I've had a number of conversations. Uh, I have a great colleague here at my station in L.A., Tyrone Howard at UCLA, who I have these conversations with. Uh, he's a great educator uh, and a, a national um, official in a, in a teaching organization. Um, but I often have these conversations with him and others about the black teacher shortage in this country. And I'll just ask a simple question. Given the story that you've just shared about what happened to you, why would anybody want some of that? Why would anybody black? There was a time when all we could do uh, was become teachers. Um, mm-hmm. And integration uh, sort of changed that, all kinds of things we could talk about if I had the time. The, the question very, very, very quickly and very simply is, why would anybody black want to go into the teaching profession to deal with what you dealt with? And here you are getting a master's degree and you're going back. I am. I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. And I think, I think really, honestly, so many people, we love it. We love being in the classroom. We love being with the kids. We love those moments of, of seeing a light go on. We love what we're teaching. Um, it, it, is a, it is a passion. It is a calling. And it's also the knowledge of, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? Like, I want my children to have the best teachers they can have. And I want to be willing to be that teacher for somebody else's kids. Um, and that's not something that everybody has to do. And some people, when they leave the classroom, they're just gone. And I don't fault anybody for that because it is exhausting and thankless in a thousand ways besides the ways that we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just have not done yet. Yeah. It's um it's a noble it's a noble profession it's a noble calling uh, and I'm glad that uh, Jasmine Holmes is clear about what her what her calling is. Uh, not sure it's for me <laughs> or, or for everybody as she put it, but I ain't mad at Jasmine Holmes. Uh, her book is called Crown with Glory: How Proclaiming the Truth of Black Dignity Has Shaped American History, and we'll go straightway into the text when we come forward. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. This is getting good. Tavis Smiley Smiley. continues when we come forward. 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 Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. Our guest is Jasmine Holmes, author of the book Crowned with Glory, How Proclaiming the Truth of Black Dignity Has Shaped uh, American History. We were talking uh, moments ago, um, Jasmine, about uh, black teachers and why anybody would want to go back into the classroom uh, to deal with the stuff you're dealing with. Uh, I should say go in the classroom. You're going back um, when you complete uh, this master's degree. Uh, and um, it, it's challenging. Um, the flip side of you being the only black teacher in this school, teaching a bunch of white students, the flip side of that is that most black students in this country, uh, certainly black boys, are taught by white women teachers. Um, any thoughts on that? Yes, I, so last year, my first grader, I have three kids. Um, and so my first grader had a black teacher last year who we, we feel like, you know, we all have that one teacher where you look back and you just know that like that teacher, without that teacher, you would be a different person. Mm -hmm. And mine was also in first grade. And I feel like my son's had, my son had that experience with his first grade teacher. Um, he still walks down the hall and Miss Sawyer will, you know, if, if, if he has a bad day, if he's disrespecting his current teacher, he goes and tells her like of his own accord. He's like, yeah, I had, I had a bad day. And she always tells him, you know, Walter Wynn, she always double names him. Um, <laughs> you, you are here to make your family proud. And don't forget that 
I'm part of your family. You're here to make me proud too. And it's such a beautiful, unique experience being loved and held by a black woman teacher. Like he thrived, he glowed. It was amazing. Um, I think, I think about her all the time. I love her so much. She is wonderful. Um, And so I do definitely see the need for more black teachers pouring into, and my sons are, I I have all boys. Mm -hmm. Um, So more black teachers pouring into um, our children, especially our boys, men and women teachers. Um, It's really hard to get men teachers into the classroom because we don't, we don't pay teachers that well. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, so I understand, I understand the absence. Um, But that's definitely something that I prize for my kids um, and something that is part of the equation as I consider going back into the classroom. Yeah. No, I appreciate the response and um, thank you for sharing the story about your son. Um, again, the book is called Crown with Glory, How Proclaiming the Truth of Black Dignity, uh, Dignity Has Shaped American History. Um, in the book, um, Jasmine uncovers the powerful stories and writings of black men and women demanding liberty, rights and privileges. Uh, that they were promised and deserved, uh, hence um, the truth about black dignity and how that shaped American history, which we'll get to in just a second here. Um, I am I am curious as to how this book becomes an outgrowth of your experience. And, and I, I want to connect these two things because I said at the top of this conversation, uh, what, 40 minutes ago now, uh, in celebration of you, that given what happened to you that day in the classroom and you end up in the car and you're crying it out and you end up leaving that school, uh, that was your last year there, you did not have, uh, you didn't let misery have the last word. And I say this audience all the time, we must never let misery have the last word in our lives. And so uh, I'm, 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 I'm joyful that that experience leads you to spend some time uh, working on a text like this. Uh, but connect the two things for me, if you will, uh, how one leads to the other, and then we'll go right inside the book. Absolutely. Um, So part of the reason why I wrote this book is because I kept on coming across things that I had never learned before in school that I wanted to share with other people. Um, My philosophy when I started writing a book is always I want to write the thing that I wish that I had read before. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in researching and in um, kind of going back to the sources, I kept coming across the idea which is an idea that we find from the Bible, is that men and women are created in God's image. This was in so many different abolitionist speeches and so many different ways. And so as I started finding that through line and connecting it and understanding it more and understanding how it was utilized more, um, the book took shape. But one of the biggest parts of my research was the fact that so many Black teachers have become historians. Um, From Carter G. Woodson onwards. Mm -hmm. The entire genesis of black education um, and black history, or I should say the entire genesis of teaching black history has always been rooted in black education and black educators. And so it just felt like adding my voice to a long stream that had already been flowing. Mm-hmm. How do you read that? I never really thought about it in that way. It's, I mean, it's, it's, um, it makes sense when you think about it. Um, but this notion that so many of our noted black historians started out first as black teachers. Well, I started with um, learning about Carter G. Woodson and learning about um, the Negro History Bulletin. And so everybody that he was involved with with the Negro History Bulletin. Um, and then I kind of started, okay, well, what were the first 
black history books. Like, what were the first books about black history? Mm-hmm. And so then you run across uh, Layla Amos Pendleton and Edward A. Johnson and Drusilla Dungy Houston. And there's this long list of names of these first publications. And when you follow the rabbit hole on 98% of these names, they're people that spend time in the classroom. Mm. Mm. Now, I, again, I, I, I learn something every day. As I say all the time, I leave the studio smarter every day than when I came in. I never thought about that particular connection. Um, when you, uh, I love the subtitle of the book, How Proclaiming the Truth of Black Dignity uh, Has Shaped American History. Just unpack that phrase for me, please. Yes, we were going to. Um, so originally the publisher kind of was like, okay, we want to call it um, Crown of Glory, and we want to say defending the truth of black dignity. And I was very, like, I put my foot down very intensely. Like, no, we're not defending because it's not a, it's not a, a fight because it's not a fair fight mm-hmm. because black dignity is just, it is what it is. It's just true. You ain't got, you ain't got to defend it. it. It is what it is. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Right. Like, I'm not I'm not about, you know, going back to that classroom situation where I felt like I was defending. I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm proclaiming it. And if you want to get on board and if you want to sit down and listen, that's great. And if you want to walk out of the room and not be here for that, then that's also great. Um, so that was kind of one of my one of my musts for the book title. Um, but the idea of black dignity is something that I took from um, a mentor of mine, Dr. Carl, Carl Ellis. He talks about ident- identity. Um, dignity and significance mm. and how when we talk about mankind being made in God's image, we're talking about those three things, identity, dignity, and significance. And dignity is the one that always stands out to me when I look at these people of the past who maintained their personal dignity in spite of the fact that white supremacy defined dignity without them in mind. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with these three words now. I'm, I'm glad you put that frame out there. Identity, dignity, and significance. I'm sure when we come forward, I have a lot more to say about it. But let me just ask you right quick on this on this third word, significance. Um, how did your mentor explain that to you? Is this, is this a question of whether or not we're trying to convince ourselves that we have significance? Or are we trying to uh, disabuse others of the notion that we are insignificant? We are just significant. Yeah. Period. It's kind of, there's just a period at the end of that sentence, because Mm -hmm. God made us in his image, so we are significant. It goes back to that proclamation. Um, And that faithful proclamation, I'm not saying that, that that never can be a defense, or that never is involved in defense, but at its heart, it's a proclamation of what's already true. Mm -hmm. When we come forward, I want to talk about how then uh, identity Dignity and significance has shaped American history. You're listening to Jasmine Holmes on Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Right now. Jasmine Holmes, when you say that um, that our identity and our dignity and our significance has helped to shape American history, by that you mean what exactly? That. Well, that the defending of that has mm-hmm. helped to shape American history. Um, in that, the Founding Fathers set out this document <laughs> that was all about the inherent dignity of men. Um, you know, women were supposed to be implicitly included, <laughs> yeah, um, but exactly. black <laughs> men were definitely <laughs> not included. And so the proclaiming of black dignity is this constant, consistent, 
holding America accountable from the very beginning. The proclamation has always held America accountable to what she promised. The proclamation has always sharpened America and driven America forward, whether she wants to go or not, whether she likes it or not. Um, and that conflict and that tension has shaped and driven American history from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, the title of the book, uh, I, when, I, when I saw the book come across my desk, the title jumped out at me, you know, Crown with Glory. And one of the first thoughts I had when I got into it was whether or not that proclamation, crowned with glory, is something for the hereafter, the by and by, as we say, or whether or not you believe in this present moment there are those in this country who, in fact, really believe that black folk have been crowned with glory. I'm not sure I believe the latter as yet. Mm-hmm. I think that it's true. It's already true in an internal sense. Mm-hmm. And then it's also not yet true in a lot of current contexts. When I look at my sons, it's true in our house. Mm -hmm. When I look at my sons, it's true in the community that I have built for them. And it's something that we're trying to push outward through our communities, through our voices, constantly and consistently. It's a constant process of acknowledging that, which is already inherently true. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pausing only because I'm thinking uh, about your, your comment earlier that we are clearly all creating God's image. Um, and yet uh, there are those in this country who, for a variety of political reasons, don't accept that. Um, so you have these evangelicals, you have these white Christians who, you know, who, who, who won't argue you on that frame. They won't argue mm-hmm. you on that phrase. They won't argue, uh, argue you on, on the fact that that's part of. Uh, what we believe in Christology, and yet it's not practice. Uh, as a matter of our praxis, as a matter of our politics, um, it doesn't show up. Jasmine? Uh, I think I lost you for just a second. Yeah, yeah. The last thing I heard was it doesn't show up. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't show up as, as, as a part of our praxis. Um, so the, you, you have these fellow Christians who won't argue on that notion that we're all creating God's image, but it doesn't show up practically in the ways that we treat each other. It doesn't show up practically in the way we do our politics. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, that's always been the case. And the black community, the black Christian community in, in particular, has always been a very loud voice holding America accountable for when that is not the case. I feel like so often um, our notions of America kind of fall into the white supremacist lie of seeing America only as this group of white elites who, you know, put the words down on the paper of the documents. Mm -hmm. Um, But when we look at who's actually built this country and when we look at who's actually defended this country, um, when we look at who has actually um, held people's feet to the fire— and upheld um, even, I say, that Christian legacy, um, it's not the folks that we're normally taught to look at as yeah. leaders. Yeah. When we come forward in our many moments with Jasmine Holmes, I want to ask, um, circling back to her experience as a teacher, um, whether or not it is her view that those in the teaching profession are truly interested in expanding their understanding of history uh, and its impact on our society. I'm talking now about black history. We'll get that uh, and put it to jazz. And when we come forward on Tavis Smiling. 
You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Ranked number 45 on the heavy 100 list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. Before I wrap this conversation with Jasmine Holmes, author of the book Crowned with Glory, How Proclaiming the Truth of Black Dignity Has Shaped American History. I am curious, Jasmine, as you uh, finish this master's degree and head back into the classroom, because you can't get enough of it, no matter how bad they treat you, <laughs> you, you want to you go back. I, I'm, I'm curious as to whether or not it is your uh, opinion that others who are in the classroom like you will be or have been and will be once again are really interested in expanding their understanding of history and its impact on our society. That's why you wrote this book. That experience happens to you in the classroom. You want to learn more, so you dig down and you write this text. Uh, I guess what I'm asking is whether or not you think other educators, uh, broadly speaking, are interested in interrogating, wrestling with how we got here and where we go from here. I absolutely do. I absolutely do. I think that a lot of times politicians are speaking um, on behalf of the educational system and on behalf of educators. Um, but in reality, I firmly believe that the vast majority of educators became educators because they're curious, because they are lifelong learners, because they want to pass knowledge um, to the next generation. And they need they need the tools, and they need those tools to be accessible. Yep. Um, let me close on a personal note. We started this conversation talking about your experience in the classroom and, and um, how all that led to this book, uh, crowned with glory. So when you finish this master's degree and head back into the classroom, um, how will your expectations be different the second time around than the first time around? Uh, how will you ensure that you don't ever end up in a car again crying because of what happened in the classroom? You know what? I might still end up in the car again crying because <laughs> of what happened in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> But 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 I expect I I expect that your expectations uh, to your point about putting on a cape and going in the classroom and changing true, everybody true. I I assume that your expectations will be different the next time around. Absolutely, absolutely. More more so, looking for that that one student, that one impact is is going to have to be enough, and not trying to save the world by myself. Yeah, well, that's wise. That's wise. But I'm glad to know that you are. So committed. I mean, I wish that uh, that all of us were as committed to those things that we believe we were called to do. Uh, and I'm not talking about a job. I'm talking about your calling, your vocation, your purpose. Uh, I respect um, immensely your commitment to that. And uh, wounded or not, you're going back in. Uh, and uh, I, I celebrate that. The book is called Crowned with Glory, How Proclaiming the Truth of Black Dignity Has Shaped American History. Uh, the author of that book is Jasmine Holmes. Jasmine, good to have you on the program. All the best to you and your husband, your three kids. And uh, and uh, I'm praying for you when you get back to the classroom again. So all the best to you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward.